Good evening. Can you hear me? Is that, am I on? I'm on. I'm on. Good evening. So I'll just tell you a little bit about myself before um, I share from God's Word. I'm Joe Howard. I, I'm married to Sarah. We've got two children, Grace, who's now seven, Lizzie, who's three. And we moved to Newton Abbott, uh, to church plant, uh, four years ago. Um, I'm originally from Essex. I'm an Essex boy. Anyone from Essex? One lone person who's willing to admit it. Oh, two. That's good. Three. And um, yeah, I, in a former life, I was an oyster fisherman. So that was my trade. I was uh, called to be an oyster fisherman after my father. I was eighth generation in my family to fish oysters off the coast of Essex. And, uh, and then God saved me. I became a Christian. Yes, yes, saved me from oyster fishing. And uh, um, I became a Christian when I was 21. And uh, shortly after that, God called me into ministry. And um, so, yeah, so we're, we've been in Newton Abbott four years to church plant from scratch. So uh, there's no, there was no Baptist church in Newton Abbott. And um, it was just me, my wife, and my daughters. Uh, no building, no people. We didn't know a single person when we moved there. And uh, God called us to go and share Jesus with that local community and to see a church uh, be born out of that community that um, still practiced the ancient traditions of the church but yet didn't look like church. So it's been quite an interesting journey for us as um, we've been there. For the first two years, I simply uh, walked the streets of Newton Abbott and prayed and hung out with people who didn't know Jesus. And um, it's been uh, been quite remarkable what God's been doing there. Uh, It's been hard work, and it's been very lonely, and it's been very tiring, um, but joyful and, and an amazing experience. So... Yeah, so please pray for us down or up there. I'll keep saying down because I'll keep thinking of Essex. Please pray for us up in Newton Abbott uh, for our ministry there and for what God's doing there. Um, we just really value your prayers for us as a family and for the, the, the fledgling little church that has begun and is gathering there in Newton Abbott and for the groups of people that we meet who we are able to share the gospel with and, uh, and pray for all that God is doing there. Um, I feel very um, inadequate and like I haven't got a clue what I'm doing, but God, God seems to be doing something. So, um, yeah, we would value your prayers. So it's really good to be with you this evening. First time being with you guys at Matley. So really, um, it's really good to get to know more of God's family and other parts of the great Southwest. Right. So Philippians uh, chapter 1 going into chapter 2. I want you to, um, if you would, just... Um, Imagine the scene of the cross to begin with. Picture yourself at the cross of Jesus. There is no glorious resurrection. There's no Easter Sunday or triumph. The cross and the scene of the cross is all that you know. This is our reality. We have walked with Jesus as he has healed the sick, as he has raised the dead. We have marveled at his teaching. And all of us, thought just maybe this was God's chosen Messiah. This was the one. He was the one who was coming to redeem and restore Israel. The one who was going to bring in the kingdom of God. And now, and now, we stand at the the darkness of the crucifixion. The uneven ground beneath our feet. And we gaze at this same Jesus, broken, bloodied, naked, hanging on the cross. And out of the darkness, 
we hear a gut-wrenching cry. My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? A call to follow Jesus is a call to the cross. A call to follow Jesus is a call to the cross. And Paul knew this only too well, in that he declared that he would preach Christ, nothing but Christ, and him crucified. Paul knew and understood the reality of what it meant to follow Jesus, that it wasn't merely a lifestyle choice, something that we did that might make us feel a little bit better about our lives, something we might go and do at the weekends to make us a bit happier. No, the call to follow Jesus is the most difficult and challenging call upon our lives. It's a challenge. It is to deny our very selves, to surrender all that we are into the hands of the living God and to surrender the fullness of ourselves to him and declare that he alone is Lord of our lives, that Jesus is Lord. The call to follow Jesus is not a lifestyle choice, but the surrender of our very lives. And so Paul, in writing to the church of Philippi, calls them, commands them, saying, this call to follow Jesus is one that you must live your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, worthy of this foundational, fundamental and challenging call to follow Jesus. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And as Paul said that to the church in Philippi, Paul says that to us here this evening, doesn't he? Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to you and see you are absent and hear about you, I know that you are standing firm in one spirit, standing side by side, contending for the gospel. It is a challenge to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, isn't it? There is so much that would seek to pull and drag us away from living such a life, away from living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus. So much that crowds in for our attention and our affection. So much that would seek to throw Jesus off the throne of our lives and replace him. I don't know about you, but I know in my own life this is a daily struggle and battle. Where I'm bombarded, literally bombarded every single day by so much that wants to displace Jesus from the lordship of my life. I'm crowded in, crowded in with all this stuff, all this stuff that wants to rob me of Jesus. And so to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel, I find incredibly difficult. I don't know about you. And yet, the call to follow Jesus demands that I give to God all of myself. Surrender all that I am to him. Willing to sacrifice everything in order that he might truly be Lord of my life. That he might truly be Lord of your life. But Paul says here that we're not on our own, are we? That we each share in the Spirit of God. The one who has come 
and made his home with us, that we might be able to cry out from the depths of our heart, Abba, Father. The Spirit has come, and Jesus promised that we would not be abandoned as orphans, that we would not be left to our own devices, but that God, by his Spirit, would come and meet with us, the Advocate, the Comforter, the Counselor, would be with us, enable us to live in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ that we are not on our own. We are not on our own. We do not have to struggle and strive as though we are abandoned, because we have not been abandoned. God is with us. God is present. He has given you his spirit. And he is with you now. Paul says that wonderful, probably my favourite verse in all the scripture, that God is for us and not against us. And so we have the Spirit, given the Spirit, together, together we have the Spirit of God. And he is the one, he is the one who breathes life where there was death. He is the one who can challenge and change and transform. The one who has promised to make all things new, yet the one who we cannot manipulate or coerce. The one who is untamable, the one who surprises and challenges us. The one who is like a roaring lion. The one who is untamable, like a wild lion. At work, in our lives, in our communities, in your families. He is at work. He is with us. We are not on our own. God is with us. And so we each share in the Spirit. We are not on our own because of the Spirit. Also because we have each other. We have one another. So often we can reduce our faith and our our salvation, our walk with God as a very individualistic thing. It's like it's me on my own, trudging along, trying to get through day by day, battered by the waves around me of the challenges and the temptations. But no, we are not on our own because we have each other, don't we? We are there for one another. And this is why the church is so important. Because it is the place where we can be accountable, yes, challenged, yes, but also vulnerable, authentic, honest. We hold our hands up and you say, today, I'm not even sure if God exists. But yet others come around us and they support us and they pray with us, never to judge us, but to love and to listen to us. We are not on our own. When you read the Beatitudes, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is addressing the church Church, do not lust. Church, do not commit adultery. Church, do not act in retaliation. Church, forgive, pray, bless. It's a call to the church to live this way. And so we have each other. And Paul here says to the church in Philippi, you have each other. Stand side by side. Together. Together. It is together that you will live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. We have each other. The last four years for me have been, as I've said, incredibly joyful but incredibly challenging and very, very lonely. And there are times where me and my wife have wanted to give up and say, do you know what, we've had enough. We can't do this anymore. But it is the prayers and the love of others around us where we have found God by Spirit give us strength, enable us to go forward. Maybe, maybe in your own life right now you are struggling, filled with fear or anxiety or doubt. 
Maybe you are wracked with guilt or shame over a sin that you just can't shake off. Know that you are not on your own and that people will pray for you. I'll happily pray with you this evening if a little bit later you want to come and have prayer about anything, anything going on in your life. But know that you have each other to pray with each other. You're not on your own. How often have you felt on your own? How often have you cried out like the psalmist in Psalm 88, God, where are you? But you are not on your own. You are not on your own. Paul goes on about the joy. This is our joy. This is my joy. Make my joy complete. Being in full accord, having one mind, this this togetherness, this sense that we are together, not on our own. And this joy, this joy is found in Jesus Christ. He is our joy. The joy of the church is in Jesus Christ alone. So in that sense that we are together in community, we discover the joy of Christ together, that together he is our joy. He is our joy. In John 17, just turn there, in that great prayer that Jesus prays to his Father shortly before he's going to the cross, he's praying for the church, he's praying for us. And he says, but now I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have joy my joy made complete in themselves. The joy that we experience comes through Jesus Christ alone because it is his joy imparted upon us by the Holy Spirit. See, joy is much more, much deeper than happiness. Happiness is a fleeting thing. Happiness often changes according to our emotions or to life circumstances. Happiness can come and go. But joy, joy is a deep thing rooted deep within us because it is from Jesus. It's his joy given to us by the Spirit. And so our joy is found in Jesus Christ. And it is founded in that sense that it is the rock. Jesus is the rock. So whatever is going on in life circumstances, whatever is happening around us, joy is something that cannot or should not be shaken because it is Jesus' joy. The writer of the Hebrews says, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. This is the joy that we experience because it is the joy of Jesus. The joy that sees the cross. We are a people, yes, of the resurrection. Hallelujah, praise God. We are the people of the resurrection. Spurgeon, I think, said that every time, every time I wake up, I wake up as though I am standing at the tomb, the empty tomb. And I see the empty tomb. And this is our joy. This is a part of what it means for us to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Yet we are not just a people of the resurrection. We are also a people of the crucified God. We are also a people of the cross, shaped by the cross. Joy finds it rooted deep within us because it's from Jesus, the one who went through the cross and through the resurrection. So Paul here, he's talking to the church in Philippi, talking about his joy being made complete, talking about standing firm for the gospel. He talks about the faith which has been given us. He has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. That God himself has given us this faith. God himself is the one who has given as a gift to us to believe in Jesus Christ and to follow him. 
This gift of faith is an invitation, an invitation into the relationship of God, an invitation to walk in step with Jesus, an invitation into God's very self, into relationship with him, to know him in relationship. This is our calling, this is our goal, this is what life is about, is to be in relationship with God. Some of the early Christian writers talked about being in relationship with God. They, they talked about it in light of, called it a dance, the dance with God. They spoke about the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit in this eternal dance, this eternal self-giving relationship of love and how humanity is invited into this divine dance. We are invited into the dance of God. We are invited to share in this divine dance, Father, Son and Spirit, this self-giving community of love. And he beckons and calls us into this divine dance, to share in this dance, to be a part of this relationship. The God who does not force himself upon us, the God who does not coerce us, but freely invites us in, giving us that choice to dance with him, to dance with him. We are not robots or mannequins. It's not as though God is dragging us around this eternal dance, us with no choice about whether or not we want to be a part of it. Can you imagine, picture God dancing with a mannequin. It's a horrendous image, isn't it? That's not what God is like. God has freely chosen and called you and beckoned you into this divine dance. But not simply that you would be a part of this divine dance, but that you might beckon others to be a part of this divine dance. Paul, preaching to the, to the, and writing to the church in Philippi and throughout the New Testament, calls, calls people, go and be declarers of this gospel. Beckon others. I plead with you, Paul says, I plead with you. Be reconciled to God. Paul calling, calling the church to recognise their mission and their ministry into the world. To go and share the gospel. To be heralds of a brave new world. Notice here though how Paul talks about this, this privilege of being in Christ, the joy of being in Christ, but the privilege of also, what? Suffering with Christ. But of suffering for him as well. We are called, as disciples of Jesus, to suffer with Jesus. If we make joy simply happiness, if our understanding of joy is simply happiness, then there is no place within our discipleship for suffering. Because we will assume that all suffering has no place in discipleship. But Paul quite clearly says that it is a privilege for us to share in the sufferings of Christ. Which brings us, doesn't it, back to our opening scene of the cross. This is a part of our calling. We are a people shaped by the cross. We are people called to share in the sufferings of Christ. And we find that hard, don't we? Yet the early church, they understood this, they knew this only too well. The early church, they 
endured horrendous suffering and persecution and yet knew that their joy was in Jesus Christ, that the joy of the church was Jesus, despite all that was going on around them, despite the horrendous persecution and suffering and pain they endured, they knew that Jesus was their Lord and Jesus was their joy. And that their suffering did not diminish that. Their suffering actually enlarged their joy, gave them a greater vision that Jesus was Lord. A guy called Tertullian, writing very early on, said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Through the suffering and the persecution of the church, the church grew and exploded into life. We are a people of the cross and the resurrection. When I was 21, I, um, I was um, an alcoholic and a womanizer, living a life filled with pain and abuse of others and myself, a life that had no want or need or desire for God. And God broke into that, into the midst of where I was at. And I had a vision, I had a, clearly I had a vision of Jesus hanging on the cross, calling me to himself, calling me to follow him. And right from then I knew that my life and my call and my discipleship has to be shaped, yes, by the resurrection, but also by the cross. Because this is what the New Testament teaches us. That we are a people of the crucified God. This is our calling. To be that kind of people. And go into a broken and a hurting world and to declare this Jesus. To show and share this Jesus. To declare that the world needs Jesus. He alone is the hope of the world. He alone is the one who will bring salvation and redemption and transformation. And Paul was, was the highest preacher of this gospel, wasn't he? Paul declared that Jesus alone is Lord. And that is our calling. And so to the church in Philippi, Paul says, be of one mind, one spirit, one hope. Declare this, Jesus. Do not regard yourself more highly than you ought. No. No, think of yourself where we need to consider who we really are. As we gaze at the cross of Jesus, we realise where we should be. And yet God in his grace has called us out and beckoned us into a new life with Christ. He is our joy. He is our joy. And despite all that may happen in life circumstances, he is the rock that will not be shaken, will not be destroyed. As we gaze at the scene of the cross, as we hear the cry of Jesus calling out, will we walk towards Jesus and embrace our identity and our calling? Or will we turn and run from that scene? Will we be like the prodigal son running into the father's arms, finding hope? Or will we go to a far off country and ignore that that call has been placed on us? In a moment, the band are going to come back up and we're going to carry on worshipping and 
surrendering our lives to Jesus. Now, during that time, if you would like prayer, if you'd like me to pray for you, or anyone who wants to pray with you, if you'd like to come and receive prayer, then come forward at some point, and you know, I'd love to happily pray with you. If, you, if you're someone here that, that wants to follow Jesus, maybe you've been not sure, maybe you're here and you don't follow Jesus, but you want to follow Jesus, then come, let me pray with you. Let me pray with you that you might be a disciple of Jesus. If there's something going on in your life that you'd really like prayer for, then I'd happily, or someone who's close to you that maybe you'd feel more comfortable praying with, I don't know, but I'd happily pray with you. But while we sing, while we worship, may we be shaped, shaped, as Paul calls us here, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ and know that our joy, our joy, the joy of the church, is Jesus. It is only Jesus and has to be found in Jesus alone. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We want to thank you that in him, and in him alone, there is life. And Lord, we confess to you that we struggle. There's so much that commands our our worship, so much that seeks to to enthrone itself in our lives. And Lord, we struggle. You know our struggles, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, you might help us to be disciples of yours, that you might wash us afresh in your grace and your forgiveness. And that, Lord, that you would lead us on to be the kind of people you are calling us to be. Holy Spirit, we bless you and we thank you for your presence here with us. And we pray, come Holy Spirit, meet with us, minister to us, challenge and change us, and lead us on as your disciples, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.